1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 and 17 through 19. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into, ru into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We've been looking at a series of relationships in 1 Timothy 5 and 6, where he talks about anything from how uh, older people should treat younger people, younger people should treat uh, uh, older people, men should treat women, women should treat men. Uh, we've looked at how, <clears throat> how we are to take care of the most vulnerable in our community, uh, the, the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, um, the sojourner. We've looked at uh, how, how elders are to be treated in the church and how elders ought to treat people in the church. And last week we looked at how uh, we relate to our work in the church. We looked at some of those distortions of work. And today we look at how our relationship to money and possessions ought to look like. Um, have you ever been driving down 85 before and you switch lanes and then all of a sudden someone is laying on their horn? Anybody? Is it just me? Okay. I, I, my, some of my staff is afraid to ride with me. I will say that. <clears throat> Brandon. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, I've had that happen to me before, and what I always say is they were in my blind spot, right? Lane, yeah, blind spot, whatever. They were in my blind spot. I couldn't see them. I, you know, maybe I wasn't paying attention enough. I don't know. They were in my blind spot. Well, we uh, as, a, as a culture uh, have, uh, have a, a pretty glaring blind spot as Americans, and that blind spot really uh, has to do with how we handle money and possessions uh, as, as a culture. Um, <clears throat> Megan and I have this kind of season uh, in, our, in our relationship as a family as well, and we refer to it as the snowplow period of life. The snowplow period of life. So work with my metaphor here. We had been married for two years. And I, had, I was a youth pastor. I had an opportunity to go and to make some additional fundage, some additional cash for the family. And so we lived in Indiana at the time. Indiana gets a lot of snow. And so uh, I had a friend that owned a business and they plowed snow. And I said, you know what? I got a truck. I'll just get a snow plow and I can make some money too. And so the first snowstorm comes, I've got the snow plow hooked up. I'm plowing streets. I'm, I'm staying up late into the night. I'm, I'm barely like going into the church the next day, barely awake and really just burning the candle at both ends and, and did that for a season. Until I was driving one night plowing snow, and then I realized, what am I doing? Like, why am I plowing snow? Like, we have enough. Why do I think that I need more? And the Lord convicted me, and uh, I began to talk about it, and so we, snowed, we, we sold the snowplow, and now we refer to it as the snowplow season of life, where we, where we thought that we needed more than we actually needed. And, and each of you have your own snowplow too, right? I mean, you've got your own kind of thing where you've realized, hey, I, I, I think I actually need more than I, than I actually do. 
Uh, and so Timothy, uh, Paul really encourages Timothy to address this in the church that he's pastoring uh, today. And so we're going to be looking at this topic of contentment uh, that's really important in the Bible. I want to share with you a quote from G.K. Chesterton. G.K. says this, There are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more snowplow. <laughs> the other is to desire less and less. Isn't that true? So today we're, we're going to be asking ourselves, how does the satisfaction that we find in Jesus empower us to desire actually less and less from the world and more and more of Christ for Him to satisfy us? So Paul is addressing these false teachers in the church in 1 Timothy 6. And these false teachers are they're using their godliness as a means for gain. They're using their relationship with God and their position in the church to, to, to gain more money for themselves. I don't know exactly how they're doing this, but as you look at, at, at church history, uh, it's been done over and over and over again uh, in the history of the church, from anything from the prosperity gospel that we see today, or uh, you know, in the Roman Catholic Church, the selling of indulgences. I mean, it's been over and over and over again that it's been done. And so it, this doesn't surprise us as we look at it, but we do deal with it. And while we may not be dealing with this exact context today, we all struggle with contentment. And we'll, we'll, we will all agree that we, we can grow there uh, as a church. And so uh, the big idea of the sermon today is this. Our grip on money reveals our grip of the gospel. Our grip on money reveals our grip of the gospel. So the grip metaphor goes like this. When we grip money tightly with a closed fist or possessions, uh, we're not satisfied. We're always keeping count. We're always desiring more and more. Snowplow, right? We're always wanting more. And we struggle to give anything away. And what that actually shows about our heart is that we don't grip the gospel maybe as much as we think uh, that, that we, that we uh, need to. Um, and so when we have a, a, a good grip of the gospel, we're free to actually steward God's creation. We're free to let Him rearrange things, move Him around, be generous with our lives because we know that what we have in Jesus is sufficient. It's more than enough. The vision that the Bible gives us is of a God uh, it's of a God that loves us and that the love of Jesus is holding us so tightly that other things lose their grip in our lives and we're free to live in relationship to them in the appropriate way. So I got two points that I want to make today as we look at these scriptures. The first one is this. Is contentment is actually the fruit of godliness. Like if we have the godliness that the scriptures teach that God gives us in Jesus, contentment flows out of that. Contentment is, it, it comes from the life that's, that's found in Jesus. So let's, let's look at these scriptures again. I'm going to read them. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. The scriptures say this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, now why would he say that? He says that because these other guys claim to be godly, but they're not content. They just want more and more and more. So he says, godliness coupled with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. For if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. 
His bar of contentment for material possessions is pretty low, right? In our, in our standard, food and clothing. We should be content, he says. But those who desire to be rich, and that word is key, desire to be rich, fall into temptation. It doesn't say that those who are rich are in a bad place. It's, it's those who desire to be rich and, and, the, and, and the desire for money and possessions overtakes the desire for Jesus. Into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Pretty strong language here. And this is, I'm getting ready to read one of the most misquoted verses in all of the Bible. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Now what do you usually hear? Money is the root of all evil. You see how that's different? Money isn't the root of all evil. Sin is. The love of money in our hearts, our desire, our craving for it, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It kind of comes back to it. And then he goes on to say this, It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. In some ways, they've committed <clears throat> you, you know, sin that, that leads them to, to not even be able to see the light of the gospel in Jesus Christ anymore is what he's saying. So these scriptures talk about having a posture and a longing after material gain. And, and we, that is revealed in us because of our grip on it. It's like when you play golf. Uh, some of you play golf. Uh, I'm, a formal, I'm a former baseball player, so when I play golf, I swing like I'm hitting it to left field. Okay, and, uh, and so when you play golf, the trick is to have a loose grip on the club and to let the club do the work. When I play golf, it's like, man, I am gripping that thing so tight, ready to rip it, and I can't hit it straight because of that. When you have a loose grip on money, God does what he wants to through it because you are a conduit through which he uses his resources in the world. And this is how we were designed to work in relationship to the good gifts of God. In other words, when we get what true godliness is, it produces this contentment. Uh, now, while I would like to believe that if I just read a couple books about contentment, I read the Bible, that I would be good to go, Paul says that's not how contentment works. Listen to Philippians 4.13. He says this, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, keyword learned, ongoing process, learned, in whatever situation I have, uh, that I am, to be content. Content is learned. He goes on to say, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger. Abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So he says, we need just as much grace to know how to live when we have a great abundance as we do when we have a great need. And I think that is the deception that we believe so many times is that when we have a great need, that we don't need that grace, that we're kind of good to go on our own. And he says with, with contentment, we have to learn how to trust Jesus whenever we have a lot and when, whenever we have a little. I mean, when, 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 Paul, when, when Paul encounters Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, uh, you know, he pleads with God to take this thorn in his flesh away. And how does God respond to him? He says, my, my grace is sufficient for you. That's the same word that we get content from. The same word. My grace is sufficient. It is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, we need just as much grace to learn how to live with a lot 
as we do with the little. And in fact, in, in the scriptures, it says too much has been given, too much is, much is required. It's actually harder to live with a lot of money. In the scriptures, it says that, it, that it's more difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is you know, for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. It's like an impossible scenario, right? It's a picture that he paints. That while we desire this, this wealth, we're actually, uh, we could be, I'll say this, we could be um, <clears throat> crumbling spiritually on the inside. He, he paints all these pictures for us. Contentment is learned. And, and uh, <clears throat> the, the liturgy of the culture that we swim in uh, being Westerners in, in the United States of America uh, is one of materialism, is one of accumulation of more and more and more and more. And Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says, and, and i I got to be the first to say, hey, listen, this, this sermon has been sucker punching me in the mouth all week, okay? The Holy Spirit's been doing that to me. He's just hitting me over and over. So if you're feeling that a little bit, welcome to the club, okay? It just, it's just what God has dealt to us this week. But Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Not one person. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that word serve is the same word that we get for bondservant. What we're called to be in Jesus, a bondservant of Jesus, a slave of Christ. You can't serve both of them, but, but the deception that we believe a lot of times is that we can and he says you can't. The problem isn't how much you have, it's the relationship you have to how much you have. That's the problem. So how do we know if we're serving it? Are you bound by money? Does it tell you how to live your life? Does it tell you how to prioritize your life? And the thing is, is we have to ask God to make us aware of our immersions, what we've immersed ourselves into. It could look different for each and every person in this room. So I'm not going to come out and give you a list of things that you need to go do today. But I am called by the Scriptures to remind us all that it probably has a tighter chokehold around our neck than we ever realize. Just because of the immersion of being Westerners in the United States of America. So before uh, missionaries go to the mission field a lot of times, what they'll do in their training process is they'll go through an immersion experience where they'll be, they'll be, pla they'll be placed in a different, maybe in the United States, but be placed in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a particular area that has a way different culture than what they grew up in. And the idea is, is that when you get placed in a culture like that, or maybe, maybe you've been lost in a foreign country and you don't speak the language, you respond in different ways than you would if you were familiar with the area. And, and so, so the idea behind this is that, <clears throat> is that we need to see how we'll respond in these different types of situations. Um, you, can only know, you can only know how you'll respond in those situations when you're put into them. Because Paul says contentment has to be learned. And so we only learn how to live a life of contentment through experience. Sure, we need to know it in our minds and our hearts, but it has to be experienced through our hands. And this is why the Scripture goes on to talk about generosity, about, about giving, about living a life with an open hand, because that is how you learn contentment. God gives and you let Him use His resources through your life. I want you to listen to what James uh, K.A. Smith says about this idea of being immersed in a culture and you're not even really aware of what's going on. He says this, 
We need to become aware of our immersions. This is water, and you've been swimming in it your whole life. We need to recognize that our imaginations and longings are not impervious to our environments and only informed by our supposedly critical thinking. To the contrary, listen to what he says, our loves and our imaginations are conscripted by all sorts of liturgies that are loaded with versions of the good life. To be immersed in those secular liturgies is to be habituated to long for what they promise. In other words, if we were to talk about contentment in light of this, the world around us is content with little. With, 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 they're not content with really anything in life. And everything in our lives are kind of pushing in that direction because we live in this culture. And so it's good for us to hit the brakes and look in from the outside and ask others to search and to know us and how, uh, how we're dealing with this. Because God is after our, desi- He's after our hearts and our desires and our loves. He's after the postures that we have toward the things that He gives us. And just like anything, our awareness of His satisfactory love, the love that He gives us that that makes us content through Jesus, is our antidote to the money-hungry infection that's all around us. Because you know what? It's contagious. It's contagious. And, and, And Jesus wants to deal with that in us. Another thing that we notice about contentment from Hebrews chapter 13, 5, is that contentment, discontentment rather, has really to do with fear. It has to do with fear. So, you know, you've, you've probably experienced some sort of discontentment in this past week. You know, it could be financial or it could be uh, relational. It, it could be lots of different discontentments that we have. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money. There's the love of money phrase again. And be content with what you have. And, and here's what he prescribes for the heart that's discontent with what God has given them. He says this, For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It seems like the Scriptures are answering a question that we're not even asking. Like, why does He, why does he go straight to talking about the fact that, that man, our, man our, our discontentment really has to do with our loneliness and our fear of loneliness? Why does He answer that question? Because it's the question that we have underneath the question. <clears throat> it's, it's interesting that He says that discontentment is rooted in a fear of being alone. It's a fear that we have, and so we answer it with accumulation of lots of things so that we feel the community that, we, that God gives us in Jesus. This is what he's saying here. Augustine says it like this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. This is what he's talking about in Hebrews 13, 5. <clears throat> so, so let's pause for a second. What if you're in here and you're you're in so much debt that you're swimming up a creek without a paddle right now, and you're just overwhelmed with the situation that maybe you've gotten yourself into for a variety of reasons. What, 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 what is Jesus telling us? Jesus is telling us that we can rest even though we've gotten ourselves into a bad place. And some of you, you need to walk away and remember that above everything else today. That even though you've gotten yourself into a place where financially you're not where you wanted to be at this stage in your life, Jesus has you, and He meets you, and He keeps coming to us in those moments. He doesn't run away from us. He keeps coming to us. He doesn't give up on us. I want you to, to listen uh, to a part of a book from our, that our friends wrote that live in Indiana. They got themselves into a situation where they had $127,000 of consumer credit card debt. 
127 grand, a lot of with student loans coupled in there too. A lot of debt. A lot of debt. And by God's grace, they paid it off in four years. And so the publishing company is like, hey man, what happened here? We gotta let's write a book about this. I want to read, I want to read to you just a little bit of of what she talks about uh, in this book. It's Brian and Sherry Lowe. Sherry wrote this. Here's what she says. Frugal. The very word can make us shudder. (laughs) It's true. Believing we lack essentials or we'll miss out on something is terrifying. The feeling of scarcity empties shelves before a snowstorm or a rainstorm in Atlanta. (laughs) And causes fights on Black Friday. We've seen the YouTube videos, right? We buy into the lie that someone else will purchase our something special and we will be left sad and lonely. And this, I think this is the key phrase of the quote. Operating from a mindset of scarcity will create an enormous vacuum in our souls. To fill that void, we will reach for anything or anyone to stuff inside that empty space. The best thing I learned to do when scarcity feared feared my soul was to reach for Jesus. What they realized as they were kind of paying off their debt and getting out of the hole that they had dug themselves into is that this wasn't a physical journey of paying off debt with some spiritual implications, but rather it was a spiritual journey that had some physical implications. Friends, the way that we handle the material universe that God gives us, money and possessions, reveals a lot about what we think about Jesus. And that's why in the Scriptures it's said that Jesus talks more about money than He does heaven and hell combined. Because it's so important because it reveals where our hearts actually are. So let's revisit that Hebrews 13.5. Discontentment, discontentment has to do with this fear of loneliness. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so when we are tempted to, to, to go into that posture of dis, discontentment, which sometimes, you know, looks like impulse buying, or at least that's how it looks like for me, it says the Scriptures tell us that we, we ought to remember that Jesus is with us. And He's enough. And His grace is sufficient for our every need. And we can jump into two ditches with this thing. We can jump into this idea of the gospel where we think, hey man, I'm owed this, I follow Jesus, I should have more and more and more. Or we can jump into the other ditch of the poverty gospel which says, I really don't need to have anything at all and I can't enjoy the gifts that God gives me to steward. Both of those are, are antithetical to the gospel because neither one of them require the Holy Spirit to steward God's gifts. You see what I'm saying? So regardless of where you are with that, nobody's journey is the same. But the Holy Spirit meets us in the middle of it, and He's pleased to work through us in how we relate to His creation. Secondly, generosity is the fruit of contentment. Let me read 1 Timothy 6 for us here. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. And when he says rich, he's basically talking about everyone in this room, okay? Only 10% of the world, you know, makes more than 25 grand a year. That's probably just about everyone in the room. So we need to hear it with those lenses. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, 
to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. So what's he saying here? Generosity is a metric of faith because generosity shows what we believe about the stuff that God has given us and ultimately what we believe about God. So if if God gifts you with much, you're called to distribute it in faith. Um, And in our generosity and sharing, the Scriptures are saying that we're actually storing up treasures for ourselves. We're actually actually showing where our heart actually lies. We've been given much, church. Just as a culture and even as a church, we've been given much. And because of that, Jesus expects much. And, and we can't do that in our flesh. We can't do that alone. We have to come to him with what he's given us and learn how to live out of this heart of contentment. Uh, one of my friends, Monty, is good friends with the author, Paul Miller. And, and he was with Paul Miller recently. Paul wrote this book called A Praying Life. And he was with him in a mentor group. And, and Paul once shared this with my friend Monty. He said, of all of the teaching of Jesus on money in the Bible... Like if we were to put it all on one page, do you know what it would look like? The body of the letter would be, live generous, give your stuff away. I've given it to you to steward. Give it away, live generously. And at the footnote, it would say, oh, by the way, be responsible. Be responsible. But a lot of times as Christians, what we do is we kind of flip that around and we make, we make the responsibility of the money that God's given us and, and the way that we steward it and the way that we save it uh, the biggest issue. And generosity is kind of the footnote to it. And Jesus really, the way that he treats this topic is, is kind of the other way around. And so an overemphasis on saving and hoarding, kind of in that other ditch of excessive spending, can be just as dangerous and faithless as being materialistic and reckless. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's like God is getting in, in this place where the only way that we can live faithfully to Him is by trusting the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. It's like He wants us to trust Him. Listen to a few things that Jesus says about this. Luke 9, 3. And He said to them, take nothing for your journey. He's sending out the disciples here. He says, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. What do you mean? Jesus, I can't take my savings account with me? Take nothing with you except yourself and my spirit. And watch me move. Watch me provide for you. Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Matthew 8, 21 and 22. Another of the the disciples said to him, this is the story where there's three of these guys that say they want to follow Jesus, and all of them kind of have an excuse, and, and none of them follow him. And here's this guy. He says this, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So what was going on with this guy? It wasn't like Jesus was like, hey, man, you can't go to your dad's funeral. What this guy was asking is, hey, let me go home and be with my dad till he dies, and let, let me take the inheritance, and then I'll follow you, Jesus, because it'll be a little more comfortable to follow you uh, when my bank account's kind of lined a little better, and then I can, you know, I can, I can be prepared. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how it works. Follow me. Follow me. Now, he wasn't saying that money's bad. He was just saying that it's harder to trust him, like he's been all over the Scriptures. It's harder to trust when you have a lot of money. And so it's so important to keep an open hand 
with it. Now, the lie about generosity is this. And I've never met a person in, the, in any church that I've ever been a part of that says, I don't want to be generous. I've never met that person. The lie about generosity is this, is that abundance will produce generosity. If I just had more, I would be more generous. That, that is the lie. That's the deception. And we see that when Jesus deals with people like the widow that offers the widow's might at the temple, right? She, she gives, out of, the, she gives out, of her, out of her poverty, the Scriptures say. The lie that we believe a lot of times is that if we just had more, we would give more. We would be more generous. But I think the Scriptures say that only faith can produce generosity. Only faith. Like when we fail to, 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 to be generous with what God's given us, whatever it is, whether it's our time, our treasure, or our talent, whatever it is, then it's an indicator that maybe we're not walking by faith as much as we think that we are. And, and the invitation for us is to live with an open hand. Um, John Piper shared this, this story in his, uh, about some people in his church uh, like 17 years ago, and he said um, he was talking to a group of college kids that were getting ready to get out of college, and they were, uh, <clears throat> they were all looking to go into these lucrative careers. And uh, John Piper shared this story. Uh, he says this, Hey, three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80 years old, single all her life, a nurse. She poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, an MD in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, partnering up with Ruby, um, and she was also pushing 80, and they were going from a village to another village in Cameroon, and their brakes gave way over a cliff. They go. They're dead. Both of them gone. And somebody asked him, man, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. And you know how he responded? He responded like this. No, that's not a tragedy. It's not a tragedy. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. He says this. And he, he pulls out this article that he got from the Reader's Digest at a doctor's office or whatever. And by the way, when I, when I read this, I want you to listen for the point. Don't discredit me just because I read this to you. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, and they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Now what he went on to tell them was that that is the tragedy. That is the tragedy where you work your whole life and then you coast afterwards and you're not even interested in the kingdom of God and building it. So is it, is it, is it bad to retire? No, but if your retirement is a means to fulfill your own desires and not the kingdom of God, I think that's where the problem comes in. So the scriptures don't really talk much about retirement, really at, at, at all. I think contextually you'll probably be hard-pressed to find any verse that talks about it. But also, the way that people viewed their work in the time of Jesus was a lot different than the companies that you work for maybe require you to work. And so there's this idea that we have, this kind of this fantasy that once I get to a certain age, I won't work anymore and I'll go do my own thing. So if I just save enough now, then I can be about what I want to be about later. But the invitation for us is to trust Jesus with it all right now. And so no matter where you're at today, 
I want to encourage you to let, 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 the, let the Spirit of God search you on this, okay? I don't want to belabor the point, but I think it is an important question to ask. Jesus has some disciples that come up to him in John chapter 1. And Jesus turns around to them and he says, what are you seeking? What he's asking is, what do you want? What do you want? And I think Jesus asks us that question today. What is it that you really want in life? And how are you chasing that? And how are you going after that? Because it's really possible for us to gain the whole world and forfeit our souls. In New City Church, I long to see, I long to pastor and be a part of a church that as we grow old in the Lord, that we get more and more generous with our time and our lives for the kingdom of God instead of withdraw more and more and more. Because he who began a good work in you carries it on to completion. He draws us closer to him the longer that we walk with him. So what does it look like for us? Is your heart restless and discontent this morning? Maybe with money or maybe with something else in life. Let Jesus Christ pursue your heart and show that he is the better version of whatever you're looking for. And that all the satisfaction that you need in life for godliness and contentment is found in the person of Jesus. Let him show you that this morning. Let him prove himself worthy. Let him meet you in that. And above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for meeting us this morning. Thank you for, um, for putting things in your word that we'd rather not talk about if we're honest. Father, I pray if there's been any of my flesh that has come out in this sermon, that people just forget it and hopefully forgive me. But Father, if your Spirit is probing us, if He's meeting us in ways that we'd rather not acknowledge or talk about, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place today before we begin to deal with those things and invite you in to shepherd our souls. Father, I pray you would loose the grip that the world has on our hearts. That we wouldn't live lives of fear when it comes to money. But we would see how you've clothed the lilies of the field and you've fed the birds of the air. And we would see that we don't have to be anxious when it comes to you. Because you know what we need. You clothe us. You feed us. You feed us the bread of life. You clothe us with the righteousness of Jesus. And it's all that we need. God, let us rest secure in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.